I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today, home of the Christian activists. No, not really. But yet, maybe, maybe. Activism is one of those words in our culture that means a lot of different things to a lot of people. Kind of like, I don't know, justice. Uh, That's almost one that you even want to have a conversation. You got to go, how do you define justice? Yet it's in scripture. We know it is. We're going to hit some of those issues today. And I think it'll be an interesting conversation. Uh, Not everyone will agree with it. um, And that's okay. We can have a conversation. Uh, I think I'm pretty much on board with our guests, but throw your thoughts in there. Uh, Love to hear from you. Um, And we're going to talk to Josh W. Josh Wayne, Buck, uh, JW, and he has a book that's called Everyday Activism. And you talk about activism, you talk about justice. What about the everyday? What what is going on here? This is this is uh, this is a lot. So appreciate you guys being here, uh, being a part of the audience, part of the conversation. And Josh, um, man, you better straighten me out. What what is going on? What kind of people are you trying to create with this everyday activism stuff? You know, I just hope we are more faithful to Jesus and we're following Jesus. When you look at Christ in the New Testament, uh, especially the Gospels, he was radical. He was somebody who was disrupting norms and he was a Jewish rabbi who took on these titles like son of man and Messiah and I am and son of God that disrupted the norms of Jewish and Roman culture. So what does it look like in 21st century America to follow Jesus? That's so much of what I try to answer in the book. So the the topic of justice, uh, you know, uh, where is it? I think it's Psalm 80, 89, 14 talks about justice and righteousness. Uh, those are actually very important. It's actually a God idea. Uh, when we become activists for, for justice, how should we define that justice? It's a really hot button topic and issue. <laughs> justice, social justice. Does the gospel impact culture or is it just about saving souls and, and being forgiven from sins and going to heaven one day? And it's something that, you know, we've debated a lot within majority culture spaces like white churches and the reform streams here in America. Is it about spiritual life? Or is it about social flourishing? And what we find in the Bible is that justice is about both. Hmm. Uh, Justice is a Hebrew word, mishpat. And there's another word, shalom. And the concept that I bring out in the book is around jubilee and the gospel of jubilee that Jesus declares in Luke 4. And jubilee is this Hebrew concept that is talking about spiritual life and social flourishing. And that the gospel is about all people being taken care of as image bearers of God. So you know what, there's there's so much talk about it, but we need to get back to what the scriptures say and what Jesus says about justice. And the best way to do that is look at his unveiling of the gospel in Luke chapter four in this concept, Jubilee. All right, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna press you on some details on that. Uh, and and I think you're you're right. Um, but I'm curious why, 
why this is a thing that you dedicated a lot of time to write about. Uh, I know you had some experiences that kind of opened your eyes. Give us a little background to what got you here and what made this an important issue for you to speak to the church. So I grew up in an awesome family, love my parents and conservative churches, Baptist churches, reform type churches. And a lot of my formation happened in a church in the Northwest that was planted out of, out of a Billy Graham crusade. So a pretty cool legacy. Mm -hmm. I started as a small group, grew into, you know, kind of a typical Baptist, this mega church, great preaching programs, family life center, apartments, the whole di the whole bit, you know, just gr growing, growing. And, you know, the Jesus I learned about in that church was very docile, very friendly, was very much about uh, you becoming a holier person, a nicer person, maybe a person who tithes and goes on a missions trip. But it wasn't very historical, the Jesus that I was learning about. In other words, I wasn't understanding how Jesus was in his original context and how radical he actually was. Mm. And so when I went to Bible college, I sat down in a Life of Christ class and I was like, whoa, what this guy was doing disrupted the norms of his everyday life. And so that was the first thing is that he was a disruptor, not somebody that made things easier around him for the most part. And then secondarily, he was mobilizing ordinary people to follow him. And I found this to be incredible. And so one, he's an advocate of shalom and justice and jubilee, which we can talk about that. Yeah, but second, he's mobilizing ordinary people, uneducated, not the elite, not the politically uh, 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 connected to follow him. And so this is where this concept of everyday activism comes from and just following the practices of Jesus on a daily basis to make the world a better place. And the whole book is tethered within this concept of Jubilee. So really quickly, in Leviticus 25, God institutes the year of the Lord's favor, which is longhand for year of Jubilee. Mm -hmm. Those mean the same thing, where he says all the slaves are going to go free. All the real estate prices are going to be reset. You can go back to your original family's land, regardless of who owns it or how they got it. And there's no more predatory lending. There's no interest rates that are going to be out of hand, like credit card debt. Usury. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it was an incredible reordering of Jewish society. Now, interestingly, in Isaiah 61, Isaiah speaks about the Messiah in the context of Jubilee mm -hmm. and says, somebody is coming to bring the year of the Lord's favor. So we have this reordering that God tells us people to do. They actually never practiced Jubilee. We have no data in the Bible or outside the Bible they ever even practiced it. Why? I don't, I don't know. I'm not Jewish, right? I'm a Gentile. But it was pretty radical. Like, you really think people are going to give up that much. Right. But then it's, you know, painted in light of the Messiah. And here's what's very interesting. When Jesus went to define the gospel, we call it the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's let Jesus define the gospel on his terms. He picks up the scroll from Isaiah 61 and Luke 4 and reads the first few verses of Isaiah 61. And he says, this is the year of the Lord's favor, Jubilee, good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight 
to the blind. This is the year of the Lord's favor. He sat down and said, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then they tried to kill him because they're like, what in the world are you talking about? And the important part of this is that we should be understanding the gospel through Jubilee. That's very important. And Jubilee means spiritual life and social flourishing. It's those two things combined. Okay, let me challenge you right there, because just in the way that he said the kingdom is at hand, uh, and the a lot of Jews thought that, I mean, even his disciples said, Lord, now is this the time where you're going to establish your kingdom? They wanted a king to rule on David's throne in Jerusalem with its capital, with the you know, the temple had been rebuilt already, so that paved the way for the king to come and rule on earth in a physical form. Uh, and Jesus was like, that's not what it's looking like, right? My kingdom's not of this world, and he didn't do any of those things. He did it spiritually. So when we look at Jubilee, and I think most Christians would get that now, in hindsight, that, that I have come to set the captives free, not that we're for right. slavery by any means, but that is a spiritual state, free from sin, because that's the greater miracle, right? Um, why would you want to make it from a scriptural standpoint, not to say that some of the things would be good, they would, but why is there, why would there be an urgency to make it uh, literal if it's intended to be spiritual? So what you have to do is look at the rest of Luke and Acts. So Luke is setting up his two-part series with the manifesto statement of Jesus unveiling the gospel of Jubilee. And the question is, did Jesus literally heal people? Did Jesus literally liberate people physically and socially? And the answer is yes. So when you look over Luke and Acts, you see spiritual life, forgiveness of sins, souls being saved, mm -hmm. um, uh, having access to heaven and, and, and ruling with Jesus one day and, and everything we know kind of from conservative evangelicalism and also social flourishing. That is to say, in the Old Testament, Jubilee was supposed to happen from the top down. And Jesus says, no, I'm bringing it from the bottom up in your everyday life that you are taking care of people around you in your family, in your workplace, so that it's no surprise that when we get to the book of James, the very first book written in the New Testament, the brother of Jesus is saying faith without works is dead. That is to say, we have to make sure to take care of people around us and our faith. It's no surprise that in Acts chapter two, what were they doing when they were gathering? They were gathering their possessions and giving to the poor. And the disciples were forgetting to take care of Gentile widows. And they said, we have to create the diaconate deacons. Why? Because it's about Jubilee. It's it's both. So you, you mentioned the spiritual life as a greater miracle. What verse says that that's the greater miracle? I believe that spiritual life is key and important, and that leads to social flourishing. You know, that, that is important, that the what Jesus did on the cross is something that um, his physical body and the atonement brought us uh, a resurrection into new spiritual life that sets us in, in a lifestyle of jubilee for sure. And I talk about that from some of the Old Testament verses, but you can't have one without the other. And the problem in the Western Christian world is we've dichotomized it. Yeah. We've said it's either one or the other, and that's incredibly 
dangerous. And historically speaking, that's why we justified slavery is because we said, well, we're saving souls and it doesn't matter what happens to people of African descent's body. So we can beat them, we can rape them, we can do what we want with them. And that's a part of the misjudgment that we've had in Western history is we've separated it when really we're embodied creatures and God wants us to be well physically, just like we are spiritually. Yeah. I, I don't know of any ministers, actual Christian leaders who did that with slavery. There were a lot that spoke out against it, but that historical aspect aside, to answer your question and also to agree with you at the same time, uh, you know, when the paralytic was lowered through the ceiling, what did Jesus do? He said, your sins are forgiven. And then he healed it. Beautiful. Right? And to me, yeah. it's like, okay, yeah. that's... And also, he says, you know, the Bible says, don't don't fear that which can destroy the body, but fear that which can, can destroy the soul. You know, so I, I do think there is a... Good. And important one is temporary one is eternal healing i pray for healing when somebody gets sick pray for people not loved ones to not die but we're all gonna die you know so the greater thing would be the eternal thing however after forgiving the sins jesus did heal him so you're right he did both uh and so i i'm 100 on board you know i don't know if you're yeah. familiar with life outreach international but we prioritize drilling water wells for people that are facing uh, uh, the waterborne diseases. We feed uh, about yeah. 350,000 kids every month in sub-Saharan Africa. We fight, we have ministries all over the world and the U.S. that help fight uh, yeah. sex trafficking. So I am 100% on board with you. And, and I, I get quite irritated uh, when I see churches. I, I, big buildings are great. I have no problem with buildings and big budgets. Yeah. It's just if, if if we forget that part, if we don't, you know, mm. it's like have have something for the people in your community. And I think part of the American problem is that we have shifted heavily towards government. Government has sometimes co-opted it. Some cases I could argue the church has forfeited their place. But we have a sense that because we have a social welfare safety net, that frees the church from not doing it. And I think that's an awful mistake. Do you see that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you just said. I think you were talking about Jubilee. You're talking about Christians mobilizing to care and love for people as their family members, brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, like caring for our brothers and also loving people that are outside of the faith to earn the right to share the faith with them. And that's beautiful. Yes. Circling back really quick for people who are like, what are you talking about with slavery? Mark Knoll, Civil War is Theological Crisis. Important book. Second book, Willie Jennings, uh, The Christian Imagination. Those are two foundational books to be like, wow, where where did we go wrong in our theological imagination to get to that space? Okay. And I'm with you. Like Jesus doesn't let us off the hook on either. And I think that's so important to, to understand and um, one does come before the other. And that's where I fully agree with you, Randy. And you see that in Luke 4. Like, Jesus actually gives a spiritual meaning to Jubilee that didn't exist before. It was purely social mm. and purely economic. And he brings a spiritual meaning to it, but he doesn't lose the social. He doesn't lose the economic You're right. from it. And that's what's so important for Christians in the West to understand. All right, we're talking about everyday activism with Josh Buck, J.W. Buck. You can uh, check out his website, jwbuck.org. 
pick up the book wherever you get books if you want to dig into this a little bit better. And by the way, Josh, I appreciate and respect you sourcing some of your references uh, on the slavery issue. I have to go back and look at those. I haven't done a lot of study on that. Uh, it, it, what you what you're running into is what you run into, I think, with a lot of Christians. Um, and there is a reflexive pushback towards a lot of things because the proper concept of Jubilee has been corrupted by the world. Okay, so let's take uh, economic Amen. justice. Well, we hear communism because that's where a lot of people that tout economic justice go is towards a redistribution of the wealth. That's a taking from one group just to give to another. And I'm like, yeah, look, when I give to the poor, it's charity. When you take from me and then give it to the poor, it's theft, right? So and this racial justice, another great one where you, so many people want to do it in an, uh, a wrong way, in a non-scriptural way, that it can actually make it, it can hinder the conversation that we need to have within the church to say, no, here's the right way and let's lead on this. Uh, what do you say to somebody who's got some sort of reflexive kind of uh, social justice, uh, racial justice, economic justice, uh, uh, you know, uh, because because we've been hit with these really bad ideas for so long? Yeah, I think we need to be challenged by what Jesus did in the New Testament and what God did in the Old Testament, not to adopt that into our modern economic system. But according to what you said with redistribution, Jubilee in the Old Testament is theft then because God is saying we're taking from the wealthy in order to give to those without some who lost through fault of their own, like their family entered slavery because of the bad decisions of parents and grandparents. And so we need to sit with with how uncomfortable it is that when God instituted a perfect system, redistribution was a part of it. Yeah. Um, well, you're, 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 the context I'm not, I'm there not drawing a line from that to our to our modern economic system, but we need to sit with how uncomfortable that would be for wealthy people. It it would be Jewish. Context is the theocracy under Yahweh versus a secular yep. government. Uh, totally, I think that's a great and that's an important distinction. Um, but why do we have an allergy to it so strongly when it's something that that God did? You know, where now we're like okay only if you ask me and i give then then it's okay and so i i i think what you said about the church forfeiting our uh, our right and our ability to be generous because of other decisions we've made within church bigger building more pastors when we're not looking to care for those who are in need it forces the government into a situation that we never want the government to be in which is having to take up the mantle of what the church should be doing. Yeah. Uh, Soon Chun Ra, a really important voice in the evangelical Christian community, has talked about the accumulation of wealth within churches in the 50s, 60s, and 70s within buildings that could have been going to helping communities and, mm. and, and the pressure that puts on a government. But to circle back to what, you originally asked, and thank you for letting me speak. You're Absolutely. awesome. <laughs> You're, at the end of the book, I've got a justice matrix where uh, the book is not about a position, a political position. It's not about a party. It's yeah, not about a that. person. If you're looking for like, I'm on the right, I'm on the left. What do I do now? That this book is not for you. You'll probably get frustrated. And, and let me, right? Can I can I interject that also? If you're if you're looking for a book that will help you win an argument. 
your book's actually not there either because your book more is about forcing you to think about how God would have you implement his justice into your community. That's my take on it. That's right. Brother, that's totally right. And I talk about how you can look at injustices and say, where can I get to work? So there's a justice matrix at the end of the book where I talk about um, prevention work, intervention work, and reclamation work, Mm -hmm. you know? And I talk about the local and the regional, national, and the global and saying, what works of justice could I get involved with? And so um, I think it's important for us to not talk past each other because some people are like you know what i really care about the unborn and that's beautiful well i really care about immigration that's wonderful i care about you know the el- elder neglect in america which is huge yes it is and and so we can talk or like world hunger and we talk past each other thinking that one is so much more important than the other when in reality we need to be working together and joining together for works of jubilee and not be so politicized because that's what's happening right now yeah. And it's really destroying the witness of the church. And listen, Jesus brought his movement into a very politicized situation. Extremely. And we have so much to learn from Jesus on how he how he did that. Well, and that's where I think you get into the disruption, because disruption for disruption's sake is not inherently virtuous. But when you go, okay, the, the current systems are not just, and I think you and I, I think me, and I, I'm, probably most people would think I'm like religious right type. You might be surprised you get in the nuances, but you could take someone who's yep. completely on the left. And I think we would both agree that the systems of justice from a governmental standpoint, a nationwide standpoint are not always just, I mean, I could, don't even get me going on the criminal justice system. Right. We have to point to something better. Uh, Matthew McConaughey in a great article when he was talking about Uvalde said in order to in order to achieve common ground you have to look to higher ground and I thought wow Matthew McConaughey all right brother that's so good we have to be the ones that in the church say this is the higher ground over here it's not my higher ground (laughs) you know it's I'm not looking down on you I'm just saying let's let's both go there uh, because that actually works Uh, you Address something in your book. I want you yeah. to say it real quick because you just mentioned a whole litany of things. Uh, whatever, you know, because we, we do a lot too, but we can't do everything. A lot of people feel a right. burden and get a little uh, paralyzed because they don't know a direction to go because they can't do everything. What yeah. does that person need to do who wants to do something, can't do everything, doesn't know where to go? The book is literally geared for that person because Jesus came to save that person and set them on a discipleship journey to make the world a better place. Jesus came to the busy and the broken, the abused and the hurting, and he confronted the people who were comfortable. He recruited the people who were engaged in injustice, Mm -hmm. like Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. Mm -hmm. And he said, you're following me now. (laughs) <laughs> and you're going to live a different life. And so what I do is I lay out seven practices that Jesus gives us to embody on a daily basis, like love and forgiveness, nonviolence, uh, mobilization, which is church engagement, truth telling, not only not speaking lies, but speaking truth to power wherever we are. When someone's being taken advantage of in work or in a family setting, that we would speak up on behalf of those who are hurting 
And the book is geared specifically for people who in their everyday lives are trying to figure out how to make a difference. So in chapter three of the book, it says how to create social change. And I talk about the gospel as your greatest weapon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's your greatest mm-hmm. tool to bring change, the declaration of it and the embodiment of it. And, and we can do that no matter what our day looks like, whether it's a single mom or a single dad or somebody who's working 60 hours a week and has a horrible boss. And, and it's, it, the gospel is for people who feel overwhelmed mm-hmm. with the weight of the day mm-hmm. and want to get to work. And one thing I'd bring out quickly at the end of the book is the measure of success for Christians is that we're faithful to follow Jesus. The measure of success is not that we create so much change or we have so many followers or we're making such a massive difference. Yeah, we want to do that. But at the end of the day, the measure of success is that we are displaying God's love in the world. And, and virtue is a pursuit in and of itself outside of the gains we get from following the virtues of the Christian faith. And that's so important for people, especially who are justice minded. I mean, Randy, I can tell you're justice minded, no matter the language we use that might be different, you care about people a lot. <laughs> and and that can burden us and overwhelm us. And the people that are justice advocates teeter between hope and despair constantly. Am I actually making a difference? Yeah. We can do it. I know. <laughs> I know. And this is the, the gospel is exactly for those people. Yeah. And it, but you've said the word a few times. It, it it's got to be a community thing. Um, I just uh, you know. I've come back from places and just just almost crushed because I go, my gosh, what can I do? Well, I mean, it's a community thing, which is why your point is so important that the church really needs to embrace this, not just a little on the side once a year, once every seven years like Jubilee, <laughs> you know, but as a pattern, as as an identity almost, uh, or actually, yeah. yeah. You know, last question for you, and I'll let you go, um, because this has been a journey for you. You know, you you saw some things that you thought were unjust uh, in your life, and now you're speaking out. As you've tried to implement some of your own uh, sermon in this book, if you will, what have you what have you seen happen? What what results have you seen? Have you seen any? For me personally, Randy, once you see you can't unsee and this is the challenge of the faith right you you bring on a different lens in your life and once you see injustice once you see the suffering of people around you once you know that a child dies of hunger every four or five seconds you can't unknow that no matter how bombarded we are with with news and with entertainment and with binge watching television and so for followers of jesus the call is to be sensitive and have the eyes and ears and mouth of Christ in whatever generation, whatever country, whatever group we find ourselves in. And this is a part of the change that God wants us to bring, where we, we partner with other people who are following Jesus on a daily ma- basis to make a difference in the world, no matter how modest, no matter how small. Most of us will not lead revolutions be important pastors or speakers or write. No, most of us are just going to live a daily life trying to be faithful to Jesus. And that's, that's the change that God wants to see. Have, have you seen an impact from doing that? 
Absolutely. You know, um, I talk a little bit in the book about some of the experiences we had while planting a church in Los Angeles and the impact that, that we had. And yeah, you see people come to faith. You see people get baptized. You see people being taken care of. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You also see a lot of people walk away. You see a lot of heartache. You see a lot of um, struggle that is also reflected in the ministry of Jesus and in the life of Christ and in his movement. And, you know, have taken heart in that. And I'll, I'll say this as we end, it all sounds great, but this is painstaking and failure <laughs> is everywhere in my life, in my story and what I've done. And so, yeah, I can talk about the gains and the things that have happened and seeing God work, but God's also worked through extreme failure and uh, me doing things I shouldn't do or stepping out and trying to be a justice advocate when I'm really trying to save somebody in a situation and it goes sideways and I have to go back and apologize. I have just as many stories of failure trying to do this as I do success. And this is the beauty of the gospel is we have this foundation of grace and love and forgiveness that we circle back to on a daily basis. Yeah. And this is Jubilee. Mm. Well, that's good. That's good because I've, I've been there where we're doing the great work. Oh, last time I was in Angola, the first day we went to the, um, medical clinic three children died one that i'd prayed for that day and you go wow uh but it's it's at the same time it's not about the success or the failure it's about the obedience yes um Mm. but there is a payoff to seeing when positive things happen and you realize okay my obedience has uh, led me to witness uh some positive change for somebody because yeah. The reality is it doesn't matter how big or small something seems to us. If it changes one person's life for the kingdom of God, all of heaven rejoices. That's a pretty good measure. Amen. <laughs> Josh, I appreciate you. Tell us real quick what we're going to get at this website, madeforpacks.org, if people go there. Yes, so I co-lead an organization that creates content for the next generation and churches and You can go on there and we have a discipleship pathway with poetry and spoken word and graphic design where we tackle some of the hardest topics that face the next generation like mental health, cultural identity, uh, scripture, how we read the Bible. Those are some things. And then my website, jwbuck.org, has uh, some of the work that I've done and uh, as I've co-labored with a lot of incredible, literally hundreds of incredible people over the years in ministry. Cool. Thanks for mentioning that. You can check that out. Uh, Josh, appreciate you. Appreciate the conversation, the wading through the terminology and trying to get to the heart of the gospel. So thank you for your time and your insight. Appreciate you. And uh, you guys out there watching, uh, check out uh, madeforpacks.org. And I'll show you. It looks just like that, so you know you're in the right place, uh, as well as jwbuck.org. And the book, Everyday Activism, if you want to be the right kind of activism make an impact in your life, in your community, and that will impact the world. Appreciate you being here. We'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live. Thanks, Randy. Thank you, Josh. Be true to what you said on paper.